Welcome to the Visionaire Edit Podcast, where we hear the stories and journeys of trailblazers, game changers, and tastemakers, where vision, power, and purpose meets conversation. Hosted by myself, Vanessa Rakais. Let's get started. Hey, visionaires, welcome to this week's episode. Let's not waste any time. I'm so excited. Let's get into it. This week's visionary is Mitrichella Romero. She is a registered physical therapist with over 15 years of experience. As a travel therapist and also the director of rehabilitation in different geriatric settings in Indiana, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and New York. Let's not even forget her credentials. She has a master's in business administration, masters in healthcare administration. Mitoshella is a living benefit specialist who aims to protect families in the event of unexpected losses, disabilities or illnesses. Guys, let's get into it. I can't wait. Thank you so much, Mitch, for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Vanessa. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Mitchella Romero. So I live in Indianapolis, Indiana, which is in the USA right now. Mm-hmm. But I, I came here 15 years ago in 2005. So I'm uh, practically an immigrant here as well. I oh. am originally from the Philippines, though. Yes. Love it. So what is a qu- or a mantra you live by? Like right now I go with um, Zig Ziglar's quote and I think okay. I have a Facebook. Um, something about do not be afraid of your light because I oh. think for for me like I'm a new mom, relatively new mom. I think I've learned that I, I hid my light for quite some time. So when I saw that quote recently, I wanted to share that, you know, everybody has their own light. So when you're afraid of your own light, it makes other people afraid of their own light too. So I, I like to point that out that if you let your light shine, it encourages everybody else to let their own light shine. I love that. I love that. How inspiring. So tell us a bit more about your yourself I know you said you were a registered physical therapist for over 15 years but you're also a travel therapist what is that um so uh here in the United States when I first got here so I have my license as a physical therapist so what happened was they assigned me in different companies and different facilities in different states so I was a traveling therapist for I think over a decade like 12 years And some of those um, years that I was traveling, I also managed some buildings. So that was, um, for 15 years, I have been a licensed physical therapist. So that was the bulk of my work. I would go to either hospitals, nursing homes, outpatient clinics, and I've even done home health myself. So I would tell people, I'm a jack of all trade, master of none. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Love it. So tell us a bit about your upbringing. So you said you grew up in the Philippines. Yes, yes. Um, So a lot of people know the Philippines as a third world country. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I did not think I was um, that poor. I think my mom and dad, we were very lucky. I grew up in a family of seven kids. So I was the oldest. Yes. And my mom and dad made sure of one thing. They made sure we were all educated. And during those times, meaning we were in a private Catholic school in the Philippines. And I think that's, that's how it allowed me to dream big Mm. and come here United States and able to survive and actually thrive because even though we didn't have the best toys I didn't even know we were that poor so I've been here living like maybe four years and I went back home and I saw the house that I grew up in yeah wow we are poor I mean very (laughs) poor by American standards we have a four by four house 
small three bedroom, seven kids, a mom and a dad. So you can imagine. Wow. In here in the States, if there's seven kids, you have to have 10 bedrooms or something like that, right? <laughs> so it, 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 I think that experience and that growing up allowed me to see things differently and be more appreciative and be more grateful of what we have here um, in the UK and in here in the United States. Because I do have friends who are nurses in the UK too. We see things differently. Yeah, I guess, differently yes. Mm -hmm. yes. I love it. Humble beginnings is, yeah. I think it's the best story. It's kind of like what Drake calls it started from the bottom. But how did that kind of influence you to become or to pursue a career in physical therapy? Thank you for that question. Because because I've been asked by a lot of my clients and patients about that. I didn't really set out to become a healthcare professional. That was more like my mom. She's like, I'm only going to pay for nursing or therapy or something like that. I was like, I hate science and math. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When I was in high school, those are the last two things I want to be in school for. But I think my mom kind of knew that I would be good at it down the road. Because mm. I think now I, I don't see myself anything else as a healthcare or in the healing field. I really am in the healing field. I, I really like helping people now more than anything. Yeah. Um, I don't see myself just as a clinician. Um, I've found myself in a position where I would even fight with the insurance sometimes <laughs> or the managers or, you know, if I don't think we're doing the right thing for the patients. Yeah. Yeah, healing really is not just about pills and surgeries. Like, you know, sometimes you have to go to their heart and their mind if the patient doesn't trust you, it doesn't matter if you're the best physical therapy in the world. <laughs> they will not allow you to do anything, right? Yeah, so, of course. I'm thankful for my mom for forcing me to do it when I did not know what I wanted out of my life. Oh, like, let's just give it up to your mom right now for, like, pushing you to become the best because otherwise you wouldn't have had this amazing 15-year experience or career. So that's amazing. So, like, yes. tell us more about your studies and the process in, and uh, the process of getting multiple master's degrees and then going oh. on. <laughs> Is that typical for somebody in your field? Um, I think most of my friends are highly, I would say, educated and very motivated and driven. I think a lot of my friends, I did not even realize this when I was in school because I thought I was the, I wasn't the brightest bulb in the tree. So here's how this happened. I took physical therapy and I didn't like it, right? So I had to fail. <laughs> I failed the national board exam in my country twice. I had to take oh, it no. twice. Yes. So I was like, my God, I told my mom, see, mom, I'm not meant to be a therapist. My mom said, take it again. So I did. <laughs> she basically said, if you don't take it, I'm not going to send you money for your allowance. <laughs> oh, no. And then you were like, no, I'm taking it now. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to retake it, right? And then when I came here, I had to do the same thing. And I was like, my God, maybe I'm not supposed to be a therapist. So I had to retake it twice again. But wow. little, did I, little did I know that the responsibility that I will have as a very young therapist. So I was fully a therapist at the age of 25. That's amazing. In New York City. And wow. I was supervising people who have 10, 15 years of experience as an assistant. It doesn't mean I 
have the bigger course, it doesn't mean I have the experience, right? Mm -hmm. So I think God was making sure that I was not just signing my name everywhere. That yes. Just because I'm a physical therapist, you know, that I can supervise people <laughs> doesn't mean I know what I'm doing. But I think having me failed twice back home and twice here, it made me realize the responsibility that I have with the community and with the people that I'm serving. And I think when I saw that, I realized I need to learn more, if that makes sense. So yes. I think it was just a natural out, you know, outbringing. And I was one of those people that I guess I always like to learn. Yeah. I always know more. You know, I so I passed the test and then within five years I realized, oh, I want to go back for some more learnings and be in a management position. And that's how I think I got to the Masters of Business Administration and Masters in Healthcare Administration, Amazing. which is too many words, but <laughs> it, it was a good it was a good two years of training. So I could manage different buildings. Um, again, I was very young as a manager. I was in my young 30s when I was managing buildings. And you can imagine I look so young. Yeah. A woman. And I was a foreigner in most of these cities. And here I am in meetings, you know, not really arguing, but debating with some of the veterans in the field. It doesn't matter. It was a doctor. It could be a big insurance company. When I feel like you know, we're not doing the right thing and we're just about money. So I think all those failures in my past and my humble beginnings allowed me to do that because I was not afraid to lose the position. So a lot wow. of people, I think, you know, when you're too attached to the title or to the position, sometimes mm. it's scary to lose that job, correct? So I think they knew I wasn't afraid to voice out, you know, my clinical judgment or my professional judgment just so we can make money. So I think all those things, all those failures allowed me to do that <laughs> I know it's amazing I was even gonna ask like what is the most challenging part of your work in the last 15 years and honestly the last year has been the hardest because of the many changes in the policy in Medicare mm. the insurance especially here in the United States yeah. even with COVID I've, I've actually had a lot of times had to go above and beyond of my job description and people my managers would tell me Mitch that's not your job description anymore but I always ask then whose job description is it to help to find help for this patient yeah whose job is it if it's not my job it's not your job it's not the insurance job whose job is it so I think it always falls down to to me sometimes because I really want to fight for this small people especially I work in nursing homes yeah patients are old their families don't know anything about the healthcare field and nobody really sometimes, you know, give a, you know, rat's ass, if I may say so. Be neglected. Yes. And you feel bad sometimes because I, I'd be in a position of like, this is all I can do. And, and then you go back home and you're like, really, is that all I can do? If that means I have to make an extra phone call to the insurance, to the lawmaker, whoever it is, the policy person, yeah. then I do that. I do that for my patients. So... Those are some of the hardest things because it, it really can grate on your nerves. I can imagine. Going above, you really go, Sorry. no, it's fine. You go above and beyond your role and that's amazing. I think it's a special quality for somebody in your field to have because sometimes you meet healthcare professionals and they don't really care about their patients. It's just a job to them. But for you, it seems like it's more of something that's passion or your purpose rather you know what that's funny that you say that Vanessa right because I never thought I would be I never really thought I would be good at it honestly when I first started out I was so afraid I was gonna do everything wrong and you know when you're new of course you don't know anything but now yeah. I'm not afraid I know I don't know anything anyways I have friends who have like five degrees to their name like five different specializations big specializations yeah but I know for a fact that I have the 
patient's best interest at heart. That's Even true. though if it means, you know, I might not be their, I might not be their favorite, I will still <laughs> say to their face what I think needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, I've been in there where patients would cry at me and like, Mitch, I want to go home this weekend, but you could hardly even get out of the bed. I cannot sign my name there and say you're safe to go home. So they would beg, moan, and cry. And I would tell them, show me that you can do this, then I will allow you. And they're like, oh, you are right. I can't even take a step without crying. So it, it's hard. It's like raising a kid, basically. And they want to go out driving there and they're only 12 years old, right? <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> You shouldn't. Take the step. Yes. Wow. yes. Tell, so tell us about a day in the life of a physical therapist. What's a typical day for you? Um, I would say the typical, there's really no typical day for a therapist, like especially in a nursing home or even in a hospital. You, we see all kinds of people. But basically for me, I think right now we would, with all the policies and rules, I would see anywhere from eight to 10 patients in a day. And that's a typical day for wow. someone who's in a nursing home or in a hospital setting would be anywhere from you know right now five to six to eight patients so it depending on what setting you are you would see anywhere from you know eight to ten twelve patients in a day and then usually I would see people from 30 minutes to 60 minutes most of the time the people that I would see lately are very 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 sick when I mean very very sick is because a lot of the times people who are not too sick they instantly go home nowadays they're not even allowed to stay in the hospital or a short-term rehab so Mm. I would see them way sick and it's not just sorry it's not just some surgery that they're going through there's also some psychological aspects of course right because I can understand I've had a back pain when I was 27 I could not even get out of bed and I thought I was going crazy yeah I literally thought I was going crazy so I think that experience allowed me to see what how sorry that was my baby so I I saw how when you're the one on the other side of the coin and you're helpless that's when I realized like oh my god when you're just a number to someone it hurts a lot if that makes sense of course. So I think that one bout with back pain that I've had when I was 27 made me a little bit better as a physical therapist as a whole. Amazing. I was just going to ask as well, like, how do you describe your approach to developing a treatment plan for your patients? Oh, God, this is a good one. Uh, when I first started, you know, everybody get the same treatment. <laughs> everybody will, you know have some warm-up, some stretching, then we're going to go try and stand up. If they can walk, they will walk. I think in the last three or four years, I've realized that the first thing that I do with my patients really talk to them, do a, get their trust on the first, you know, treatment, two, three treatments. Because when the patient doesn't trust me, it doesn't matter what we do. Yeah. It's not going to go anywhere, if that makes sense. So I, I go to a patient's room and I would feel out how they feel, how the family feels sometimes, and then just work with that. You know, if Today, the only thing they can do is wipe their face while they're laying down there, you know, mm-hmm. without screaming in pain, then that's it. If what they want to do is jump on their wheelchair, well, transfer to their wheelchair, and then I, you know, walk them around the garden for half an hour, then that's it. And talk to them about how do they want to go about with their therapy. Because I, I think a lot of the times, even us clinicians, like, oh, I need to get this medication in. I need to get this 50 feet walking. Y- you know what I mean? Yeah. I think when I first started, I'm just like, you know, I need to get the protocol in. What the doctor said that's what I need to do but sometimes yeah. six weeks later the patient's just so tight they're so uptight and we're not accomplishing anything it's because I never really got to know the patient what they want from me that makes sense yeah, definitely of course so how if you think about a time that you've had a very difficult patient to deal with how do you encourage your patients to adhere to their treatment oh that's a good one because I've had several of them so yeah. uh, again when I was younger I think I took it as a personal approach 
front when patients would refuse to see me. You can imagine they've just had surgery and I come there and tell them, let's get up, let's go for a walk. I'm like, are you kidding me? I just had surgery last night or yesterday. <laughs> so they don't have any, you know, they don't have any qualms telling me, hell no, go away. <laughs> so, that, but now I understand from a point of view, you know, these are people, when they're in pain, they don't want to do anything. So the first thing really that I, I do on the first day is ask them if they're in pain. They want to talk about something. Because also financials and other stressors get into the patient's head. So yeah. I usually talk to them the first day and ask them questions about themselves. Like, um, I let them talk and then maybe I can have them laugh if we can get to laughter oh my god that makes my life easy <laughs> i'm in <laughs> wow no this is good so how would you measure the success when working with a patient oh so i think for me now when i when i i have a story to tell mm. i have a patient in massachusetts who was so demented maggie was her name i still remember her and the doctor diagnosed her to be dying in 30 days I think it was end of November, she was supposed to die. But she didn't die yet. Yeah, the family was all in vigil and whatnot. So she wasn't dying yet. So they, the doctor ordered, why don't we try therapy for a couple of days or a couple of weeks? So my manager told me, why don't you try it? That lady was cussing and, you know, pu punching us and swearing words like a trucker. And she's some Italian lady. So the swearing was all kinds of Italian and English. And I can hear, you know, when she says the F word, I know what that means. <laughs> so me and the OT worked with her for a while. And then lo and behold, you know, we got her trust. Um, she started walking. And so she went home after like four weeks or something. But then she went home for eight days and came back to us with a broken hip. I knew at that time she was not going to make it anymore because I knew at that point it was like crazy. But you know what? Her daughter came to me when she came back to our facility and said, Mitch, you gave me back my mom for eight days. So she, she was going to Pennsylvania. It's making me cry because she got so close to me. So for eight days, they were able to go out like normal. You know, she was able to take her mom to Panera Bread, have brunch with her, spend time with her mom. Like it was normal. They were not dealing with sickness yeah so when that daughter came back to me i realized my god i didn't do anything amazing you know she just got home and she's back again to die but i realized what kind of things me as a therapist can do for families yeah probably still demented still gonna die yeah. but it allowed the daughter to have eight special days with her mom you know like they're back to normal so that's one of the best things i remembered from that event even though the patient died anyways so i'm very thankful for all those experiences no that's amazing i was oh god i got emotional myself too that like <laughs> well done for you like you're so inspirational and motivational like what is it you just told you just uh, told us the story but what do you love most about the physical therapy or being a healthcare provider oh that's Again, that's a good question. Right now, I love the part. One, I think it's because as a physical therapist now, I look at healing in a way where it's not just the physical healing of someone. Mm. Um, I think because of my background in the Philippines and my many background here in the United States, yeah, I can see how when you look at the whole person, you can do more for them. Because sometimes technology, it doesn't help. Money doesn't help. Um, I've seen people who have cancer and they're yeah. happy. You know, I've seen people who really, by all intents and purpose, they should be walking and doing amazing things. But because they're so into their own depression in their head, we could not even stand up. So that tells me, you know, it's the human spirit on fire. I always say that. 
whatever for whatever it is it the human person itself you know if their if their soul is on fire yeah they will get better yes yes it, and i know for a fact now that i guess god has given me that talent somehow <laughs> i don't even i sometimes i would tell people i don't know how i know these things but you have to go back to your doctor and go to a neurologist because there's something wrong here not here I was in one building where they told us it was just a fracture and pneumonia. And I said, no, there's something going on with your brain. And I, I literally advocated for this patient who was only 44, but he keeps falling. And I said, there's something going on in your brain. And I begged the insurance to send him to a neurologist. A week later, they are like, oh my God, Mitch, who are you? Your house. <laughs> he has some tumors, like little tumors in his brain. Wow. If I didn't beg for them to send him to a specialist because it was not working well in my I don't have x-rays in my eyes, okay? <laughs> <laughs> they look at me like I was crazy. It was like, it doesn't make sense. I just know he needs to go to this neurologist. And after that, I've, I've trusted myself a little bit more, if you know what I mean, as a clinician. Like, I don't know what it is. You know how some people say, I can just tell. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know how I know, but it doesn't make sense in my head. I no. just know you need to go there. <laughs> That's amazing. That's like having, like, you're very intuitive. Do you think your faith has a lot to do with that? Yes, very much so, yes. But honestly, for when you're young, you know, I grew up Catholic, mm-hmm. and I believe in God and all that. Yeah. But honestly, when you're young, you think you're invincible. <laughs> yeah. And I was in, I remember I was in Stamford, Connecticut, and I have a patient who was 90 something in the respirator, barely alive, and the family is not letting go of the patient. So my boss told me, go up there and evaluate the patient. I got goosebumps because when I got there to his room with the respirator bleeping and everything, he's got 10 tubes going all around him. I swear to God, it was just a coconut husk. Wow. There was nothing there. And I got goosebumps all over and I ran downstairs crying, telling my boss, He's dead. (laughs) My boss thought I was crazy. And I told him like, no, he's not there anymore. I don't even know how to say this. What the heck am I evaluating? And I told my boss in the office. See, I was crying. I said, I said, he's not there anymore. I don't know what to say. And my boss said, it's okay, Mitch. You don't have to evaluate. I said, that's not the point, Diane. I said, he's not there. He's literally dead. Wow. She probably thought I was crazy, but she knew I was a good therapist anyways. And that's probably why she sent me up there because nobody wants to do the job. (laughs) I was always that therapist that gets sent to do things that nobody else wants to do, if that makes sense. And I think that developed my intuitive healing, however I want to healing thing or whatever it is. That's amazing. So we want to know more about you. So I always ask women, especially the famous question, do you think we can have it all? Yes. <laughs> I know oh my you're living testament, living testament. Um, I don't have it all. And my mom says you cannot have it all. But I do feel like, yes, you know, we're, I think, and this is funny, Vanessa, that you asked that because in the last six months, I've been in this journey of self-discovery, self-mastery and whatever people call it. Love it. I think I've become more aware of myself in the last six months as compared to the last 40 years of my life. Mm-hmm. 
And I do believe we can have it all. We're all brought here together in this earth for a purpose. Definitely. Most of the times we lose that purpose or we lose that sense of self. But once you start digging in and finding who you are, who you really are and why you were brought to this earth in this life, then yes, we're supposed to have it all because aren't we co-creators? Yes. And as, yes. And as co-creators, we're supposed to have it all. I mean, it's all inside of us. It's already there. I, I didn't know this, you know, up until six months I think in the last six months journey I didn't know that I have it all inside of me I just need to bring it all out and that's why when you reach or I don't know how we got together but for some reason you resonated with me if that makes sense yeah no I felt the same it was very like I need to contact her because I feel like she has a story to tell and I think the listeners would really be able to resonate with you so yeah it's definitely everything happens for a reason I believe that Yes, and when you mentioned about the UN, yeah, and all that mission, um, it resonated with me because I've always wanted to do missions, but I've never had the time nor the money or at the same time. Yeah, so I did a Haiti mission in 2010, and I oh, tried to send help to my country, but it's never, you know, there's never enough. enough. There's yes. too, much, too much suffering going around the world. It's so true. when you mentioned that, I said, oh my God, Lord, I've been asking you for, for, for help because there's too many things to do Thank out there. Dawn. It's true. And it's very hard. Like, how do you stay motivated? Oh my God, that's a hard question. I, <laughs> when I was single, I think my motivation was, and this might be the wrong motivation, but I think when I was young it was because I was I didn't have all the opportunities yeah I think at first it was just I was angry at myself or at the world where like, why was I born you know without all the opportunities so I wanted to show everyone like yeah I can do this I think that was my motivation you know some anger or some revenge part inside of you where I want to prove to myself and to everyone that I can do it that, yeah that makes- right that was the burning thing inside of me for so long but you know it, it got me through the hard patches in life I think and then nowadays I think how I get motivated is because of my little one you know I I have to get better I cannot be all angry all revenge (laughs) all the time (laughs) I need to be able to get better at that because my little one looks at me every single minute and I can see she she mimics you know they copy you without you even knowing it (laughs) so I think that's the first thing that I had to do like really figure out how I can become a better person if if that makes sense because I cannot honestly I cannot live my day and then realize oh my god my baby's becoming kind of like me and it's not the person I wanted to be right How do you balance being a mom and doing all these amazing things in the healthcare sector? How do you balance? Uh, I have a good mentor. His name is Hermie Bacchus. And he said, and this I didn't know for a while. He said something like, there really is no balance, but there could be a harmony. Because some days, and then mm. he's right. Because like you, I was looking for that balance. How do I do balance? And I think yeah. that's why I was struggling for 40 years. I was trying to balance career personal life, you know, family life and all that. But when I realized, you know, there are days that all I can do is take care of Mila, then so be it. I don't have to feel guilty if I'm not working on myself. Yeah. Then there are days all I can do is, you know, the business and it's all I do. 
And if on the other days I have to, you know, like I went to vacation for three, four days and just by myself. See, that was a hard thing for me to do for so long. I would feel guilty if I take one day for myself. Yeah. Right? Because I was like, I'm a mom. I should be busy all the time. But this is for all the moms out there and all the dads. Yeah. Don't feel guilty. You know, that's that's not how we're supposed to live <laughs> life, I guess. Yeah, allowed one day off. Yes. We're, we're supposed to, you know, have days where, okay, I would allow myself cheat days. Like today, I'm not going to do anything. Or today, all I'm going to do is this. And you know yeah. what? So it, it works out. It works out. You need that break yes it, it simply does and remember that saying you know if today is your last day how would you want it to be without even saying goodbye oh that's really powerful that's right. true i mean i'm at that age where especially nowadays we're so surrounded by covid mm-hmm. you could be very healthy and the next day you could be sick in the hospital i think people have realized how frail you yeah. and it really is because i've been surrounded by sickness and suffering i think in the last not just 15 years but i've got family that are very sickly yeah and, and i think that's how i got to become a healthcare professional because half of my family are asthmatic the other half have epilepsies so so I, I've seen people in the hospital all the time growing up and I didn't have answers for them. And I was one of those people that was panicking because I was a young, so you're making me cry again, Vanessa. I was oh, very young. And, you know, I think trying to take care of my, my family who was sick and you don't know what's going on and you're afraid. Yeah. Right? So I think that's what made me such a good therapist because I know how it is to be afraid and not know what's going on. I'm not even worried about financial because I was too young. I was like, I think 50, one, one kid would be at the hospital so my mom and dad would be working. So I was going to be the one taking care of them in the hospital yeah just you know once in a blue moon but that allowed me to have that experience so and they would bring in like an oxygen because one of my brothers asthmatic and then you would cry because you think you're they're dying because that's all in the movies right yeah yeah (laughs) so that I think has made me that experience has made me a much better therapist because I can understand how these people feel they've never been sick in their lives and suddenly they're in the ER yeah suddenly they're in the IC families there so they're just so afraid and in a panic and I think that has allowed me to be more human when it comes to my patients as well so overall that I think oh my god I didn't even realize that still affected me (laughs) yeah no but it's good we like like you can see the rawness of where your caring ability comes from like you're really walking in your purpose that's why it's so emotional to you and like well done for you like I suffer from asthma after I got um, pneumonia last year so um, for me I understand I've seen family members really deal with asthma attacks and be really Mm -hmm. ill and I think for me it's that yeah trying to help people across and give them some sort of hope or somebody to lean on is the main thing in life so yeah that's amazing for everything that you do and I wish I could like keep talking to for like ages but let's get into the last um couple of questions because i know you had the little one to deal with so (laughs) let's go how does somebody get into physical therapy and what advice would you give someone getting into the field you have to love number one what you do because nowadays i think um to practice here in the united states you have to have a doctorate program as an entry level So that's anywhere from five, six, or seven years, depending on the program that you get in, depending on your undergrad. So if your undergrad is three years or four years, then you have the doctorate degree that's two or three years. So that takes you anywhere from five to seven years. It's kind of like a long time. For my time, it took me all of five years, and I thought that was long enough. (laughs) Mm. I thought, I'm like, my God, mom, that's half a decade. And the (laughs) next thing I knew, I was like, oh, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with the schooling thing. 
So now what? What do I do? Yeah. For anybody who wants to be a physical therapist, oh my God, it's one of the best professions out there. Because really, you're doling out hope to people. You're not just doing surgery. So you meet people at the very, I would say, depressing time of their lives, really. Mm -hmm. And I've seen people not being able to get out of bed, to being able to walk outside. And the moment you first see them stand up and realize that they have their own power to stand up, it's like, oh, wow, this is an amazing feeling. And you get to do that every day. It's literally, I tell people, Jesus Christ is literally the first physical therapist that I know of. Wow. You know, he said, come on. He made the lame walk. He made the uh, somebody who could talk, talk. So mm-hmm. those are all part literally of what we do as physical therapists and occupational therapists or speech therapists. Wow. So we really have this power in our hands to give to people, you know, give them some kind of normalcy after a big accident or a tragedy in their lives. So, and then you can really change people's lives, literally. So it's it's a good feeling and, you know, I don't take it lightly. So for anybody who wants to be in the field, you will love it. (laughs) That's all I can say. (laughs) Is there anything that you would do differently in your career? Oh my God. I, I don't think I would change anything, but if there's one thing, probably I would, I would study more when I was younger. (laughs) More studies? I would, uh, only because when I first started, I felt like I didn't know anything, if that makes sense. Because I didn't take my studying very seriously. And I think that's why I made up for it down the road. And up to now, I'm still studying. When I would uh, find clients and patients that have not had answers, I would go research it you know, online, or I have a lot of friends who are therapists, doctors, and nurses, and I tell them, you have one brain here, but I have 20 best friends who are doctors, nurses, and therapists. So you betcha I'm going to be asking them, have you seen this kind of case? (laughs) If I'm stumped. Yeah, yeah, of course. So you betcha you have a lot of brains working on your case. So they're like, oh, really? It's like, yeah, I mean, I don't tell them your name, obviously, for obvious reasons, but... (laughs) You know, um, I always ask, you know, some of the brightest, their opinion. So, and I think that that really, really helps. Like the networking, having that network community of healthcare professionals. Oh God, yes, yes. yes. Amazing. So you'd advise people to build their network, get more education in. Are there any other specialist courses that they might take that have been developed since you started that might be helpful for some of our listeners? Like right now, if they're just starting on the field, just finish the basics. Because um, when I first started, I put I thought I would be in pediatrics. Oh, uh, low end, because back home my 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 background was mostly kids and neuro neurological conditions. Mm. But when I got here, I was bombarded with geriatrics. This is a baby boomer population here in the United States, and wherever I have been assigned, there was a lot of baby boomers. It it was medically complex. You know, it's not just a knee replacement. They're also dealing with heart problems. They're also dealing with you know medical conditions cancer and whatnot so medically complex patients is what i've had in the last 15 years and i i tell i tell all the the new students and newbies that would come to my facilities i would tell them just just learn from it because you will evolve along the way your practice will evolve and you don't want to spend a lot of money only to figure out down the road like oh that's not what i wanted to do (laughs) 
right. <laughs> it happens, trust me. Yeah, yeah. That was law. I started off in law and decided to change later on in life. I wanted to be more effective. I feel <laughs> so. There you go. Yes, yes. I, I hear good. you. <laughs> so I get what you mean. So what's next for you as a physical therapist? Well, actually, now I'm. I've actually tabled my physical therapy career. Not okay. not the job. The yeah. job. It's I'm still a physical therapist doing it on online on the side with my sister. Yeah. We have a life coaching and wellness business on the side and also a oh, also a benefits specialist now, which is really in the umbrella of life insurance. Wow. Because, yes, yes. Only because um, I've seen the health industry change in the last five years and people cannot avail of what they need. And mm-hmm. I'm realistic now. When your insurance doesn't pay for the care that you need, you're stuck. You're yeah. stuck with a treatment that you do not even want or is toxic for you. So I've found this company that their sole purpose is really to give hope to people when they are sick, infirm, or has been in an accident. So I'm really, I'm under the financial industry, but this one company that I know of, um, they're called National Life Group by any chance, and they're only here in the United States, but I've seen how they give people hope when, when a time that you really, really need the hope. So I've aligned myself with them because I know for a fact I want my patients to have what they have. Like if I don't want to get the chemo treatment, good. I have this life insurance cash policy that I can use to get the second, third opinion, maybe in UK, maybe in Canada, maybe in Germany. So that's really why I feel like I've, I've been a physical therapist for 15 years. But you know, like you and me, if you're in the system, it's hard to fight the system. Definitely. So, and how many people out there has like, you know, a million dollars for a second opinion? <laughs> It's true. It's very difficult, especially in America. Like in the UK, we have the NHS, which is like a free healthcare system. But in NHS, like how do patients get the uh, the right or more effective treatment? Mm-hmm. Yes, have insurance. Th- that's exactly that's exactly my point because I know for a fact if down the road, you know, and everybody's getting older now, you don't just die from a cancer, stroke, or heart attack anymore. I've seen people, you know, they're in their forties or fifties and very young. But the expenses, it's becoming bigger and bigger. And that's why I said there has to be a, a solution for this problem. And these are the hardworking people like you and me. You know, we save so much money mm-hmm. and then you lose your job because, you, and I know my sister was the same way. You know, we get into medical debt because you can't go back to work with whatever's happening in your health. You lose your job, you lose your benefits, and then you're stuck with like, now what, right? Yeah. And I've seen so many stories like that in the last 15 years. And these are people who are willing to go back to work, willing to do whatever it takes. But it seems there was no answer for for a lot of them. So when I saw what this company is doing here, and they're very small here in the United States, I said, I want to align with these people. And as I said, in the last few months, I've gotten to know some of them very well. And I think like me, they've also been tired because, you know, in your line of work, whatever it is, as a nurse, as a therapist, as an engineer, Mm -hmm. you see all this sufferings around you and there seems to be no answer and then you see this little beacon of hope from someone and you're like sometimes you're skeptical right yeah is that even true it's too good to be true but I've seen what they've done in the last 172 years and not everybody has heard of them because they're a small company yeah you know those are the ones that I always tell people like if they're spending 
millions of dollars in advertising. There is a reason they're doing that. Yeah. You know, if they're a small company and they've survived for 172 years, they must be something doing awesome. Right? <laughs> something good. And I haven't heard of them. I'm like, why? <laughs> so and that that's why now I align myself with people, causes, and companies. You know, it doesn't always have to be the biggest, the brightest, and the yeah. fastest growing, but the core of what they're doing, I have to believe in it. Yeah, that's amazing. That, that's great. So my last question for you is, what does being a visionary mean to you? Wow. Your question gave me the shiver up my <laughs> spine again. <laughs> Um, for me, I've, when I was young, I was always told by people that I'm too much. I was dreaming wild, even though I was in a third world country. Yeah. But I think I've always had this imagination, wild imagination, daydreaming, even when I was a kid. I've always dreamed of something better, bigger for, for my countrymen and even yeah. for me and my sisters. I've always known that I was supposed to do something good and something big with my life. I just did not know what it is. Mm. In the last few years as a physical therapist, I've, I've, I've known that God wants me to do something with regards to healing and health. Yeah. Uh, I've been looking for a company, a cause, a mentor that will bring me to that. And I think in the last six months, I've found them with this smaller company. Mm. They align with my values so much. So I do, I, my vision really right now, mm -hmm. get the living benefits out there to the world. And even yeah. though they don't exist in parts of the world, I do feel like a lot of people need this kind of hope, especially right now. Because number one, with the COVID, it exposed how frail really we are. Our human life is frail, right? Definitely. And then number two, it really exposed the financial and economic situation of the world. And more than ever, we realize we're so interconnected. You cannot say anymore, oh, it's just happening in the U.S. Let's not worry about it, right? We're yeah. all literally in the same boat. If we don't help each other, we're all going to go sink, right? Like the Titanic. <laughs> so I, I do that as the vision. Like we, we are all interdependent. If we don't worry about each other, each other's health and economic situation, we all go down together. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Hopefully, we all go up together, right? Oh, we want to go up together, definitely. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, that was not a good ending. <laughs> No, it's good. It's very deep and meaningful. I love it. So where can our listeners connect with you online? I'm sorry? Where can our listeners connect with you online? Oh, I'm actually in Facebook and LinkedIn. I can send you my links if I have it. I think I have it in the bio that I yeah. see. Yes, I'm always on Facebook. I've been in Facebook since I think the very beginning and I've never just managed to erase. I love it. Fish, thank you so much. You're very welcome, Vanessa. And I would love to talk to you again here and there because I do feel like you have a lot to offer to the world as well. I, I, feel, I feel you. The moment I saw you in the um, Zoom today, I was like, Okay, this lady, I can feel her. And I don't know how that, that means to you, but it means a lot to me. Thank you. It means a lot to me too. Thank you so much. Listeners, you will get this exclusive interview coming up soon. Thank you so much. Guys, I hope you were touched the same way I was. That was a great episode, right? Make sure you like, follow and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And we want to hear more from you. So make sure you comment. And if you ha know anyone, have your own story to share. Please send us an email. Send us a message. Make sure you follow us on Instagram. I can't wait to see you. Until next time.